will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We'll pray in just a moment, and as I do, I'll pray for our time in this text. Uh, but this text uh, reminds me of, of a friend of, of my wife's, and her name is Raham. And Raham is Syrian, and she married an Egyptian, and they live uh, in uh, Alexandria, and uh, he's a pastor. He's an Egyptian pastor at an evangelical church in Alexandria. His name is Michael. And so you can imagine Raham, both places where she is from, or in a great deal of chaos. And this text reminds me uh, to pray for her and to pray for our brothers and sisters in Egypt, uh, particularly over uh, these past few days. She sent us pictures of churches gathering today to worship on rubble of their churches that have been burnt and torn down. And, um, And so let's pray for our brothers and sisters in Egypt and let's pray for that place for God to bring peace. So would you join me as I pray? Father, we ask that you would be a fortress for Raham and Michael, their children, for their church, for the churches that they know throughout this nation over 40 burned to the ground this weekend. Would you be their fortress? Would you help your people in Egypt to know that you are with them, that you have not left them? And would you help them in this difficulty to shine for the gospel of Jesus? We pray for protection, and we do ask that you would bring peace and stability to that place, not only for the good of your church, but even for the good of those who reject you. So that they would know your love, and so that they would hear a witness to the gospel. And now as we do come to this song, this poetry, that for many of us is very familiar, would you make it new? Would you make it powerful to say that you are our fortress? Would you lift us up? Would you teach us? Would you guide us by your Holy Spirit? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we made it into the New York Times this week. 
And by we, I mean the state of Florida. And um, it's never good when the state of Florida makes it into the New York Times. Uh, it's usually just another reason for Tina Fey to make fun of us. Um, uh, but we made it into the New York Times because another sinkhole has opened up just west of Orlando and swallowed part of a, uh, of a resort building. And so the news uh, went to the nation. And the story reminded me that we live in a place where from time to time, more often than I'm comfortable with, the ground opens up and swallows things. And just add it to the list, right? One more thing to add to the list of things that scare us. Scenarios that play in our minds that cause us to worry. Scenarios that make our hearts beat a little bit faster, that keep us awake at night. Situations that lead us to anxiety and fear. You all have it. You all have that list. And maybe sinkholes isn't on it. Maybe it is now. But you all have a list. And maybe you think yours are rational and other people's are irrational. I heard a counselor say recently that there are no irrational fears. You can find a good reason for almost anything to be afraid of. But whatever is on your list, it would be hard to imagine a situation and a scenario worse than the one described in Psalm 46. Verses 2 and 3 tell us of the sea swallowing the earth, and in particular the mountains. And understand that for the ancient Israelite mind, there was no scarier place than the sea. The sea was a place of chaos, it was a place of monsters, it was a place of evil. Ancient Israelites were terrified of the sea. On the other hand, the mountains for them was an ultimate symbol of stability, of peace, of protection. So understand the imagery here. The ultimate image of danger is swallowing the ultimate image of safety. Unless you think that this is just ancient mythological thinking, the poet here connects these images in verse 6, to historical realities. Nations, enemies, that were rattling their swords, coming against God and His people, threatening them with total annihilation. All that to say is that the list in Psalm 46 is worse than yours. This is the scariest situation imaginable. But, in the middle of this list, what does the choir sing? Verse 2. We will not fear. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I'm not supposed to talk that way about the Bible, but that seems so absurd. To be in the middle of your world crumbling. 
of your existence, the existence of your family, the existence of your whole race, threatened with annihilation, to sing, we will not fear. How does that happen? Where does that song come from? And how do we join it? How do we join the choir that sings we will not fear when the world is falling apart around us? Well, with those questions in mind, I want to come to this text. And we'll find that singing we will not fear happens when we sing of God's strength and when we sing of His commitment. So first of all, the song of God's strength. God is a fighter. That is a central confession, a central theological confession of the book of Psalms. It is a central picture in this particular psalm, Psalm 46. God is a fighter. And the ability to move away from fear, to move away from anxiety, begins with knowing the superiority of God as a warrior. So defensively, God is called here a fortress. And a fortress, of course, is valued for its strength, its stability, its ability to withstand attack. On the offensive side, verse 8 tells us that God brings desolation on the earth. Verse 9 tells us that He makes wars to cease. He ends his enemies. And notice how he does it. He just, it says that he breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, and he burns the chariot. So God in his strength is superior to the dominant military technology of the time. He is a better fighter than the greatest weapons that mankind could conceive. God is a warrior. And we see his here his superior excuse me. <coughs> his superiority. And notice his weapon. Notice how he fights in this song. Verse 6. The kingdoms, the nations, they're rattling their swords, and what does God do? He utters his voice, and the earth melts. And what does God say when He utters His voice? Verse 10, Be still. And that verb there is the idea of loosening a grip. So God says to His enemies, Be still, put down your weapons. God's voice is stronger than any threat. His voice is superior to any enemy. He speaks in Scripture and He creates. He speaks and He uncreates. And He speaks and He recreates. God's voice is bigger than your list. That list of things that create anxiety for you. God's voice 
is bigger than your fear. Now, to talk about God as a warrior, to talk about Him as a fighter, uh, makes some of us uncomfortable, and it certainly makes much of our culture around us uncomfortable. And for good reason, because there have been times throughout history, and even in modern times, where people, where governments have taken the military image of Scripture and used it to try to justify unjustifiable violence and war. But, I think a lot of our discomfort with the military imagery of Psalm 46 and the book of Psalms and the Scripture as a whole, a lot of our discomfort comes from a modern misconception of what faith is. We think of faith, we think of religion as a pacifier. We, we think of faith as a fuzzy blanket that helps us go to sleep at night. And so it's okay if you have religion, if you have faith that allows you to get through the day and that puts you to sleep at night. But don't go any further than that. But that conception of faith is not ours. That is not the Christian faith. The Christian faith does not snuggle with us and help us go to sleep at night. The Christian faith tells us that we live in a world that is full of darkness, that is full of injustice, and God is angry about it, and He is powerful enough to do something about it. Theologian Miroslav Volf talks about how he used to struggle with the idea of God having wrath, of God having anger. He didn't like that idea, did not seem appropriate with what he wanted God to be. And he struggled with that idea until his home place, the former Yugoslavia, descended into brutal war. Until he saw his villages, his cities, his people brutalized. His people raped, tortured, and murdered. Over 200,000 people killed. Upwards of 3 million displaced. And when he saw that happen, Wolf no longer had any problem with seeing God having anger having wrath. In fact, he says, I would rebel against a God who was not wrathful at the evil that exists in this world. Please understand, God is not a pacifier. God, as Scripture gives us to Him, as He gives Him to us, reveals Him to us, God is not a fuzzy blanket. He is a warrior of unimaginable power and strength. And that is not only the witness of the book of Psalms, it is the witness of God's own Son, Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. There is a mischaracterization of Jesus as soft. Jesus was not soft and weak. He was gentle, but He was strong. As the incarnation of His Father, He was the perfect embodiment of God as a warrior. Just one example. Think about all the stories of storms 
in the Gospels. Jesus' followers out on the sea in the boat, and the storm arises, the waves threaten to swallow them and kill them. They're convinced that their lives are over. And where is Jesus? He's asleep. And they shake Him and they wake Him up and they say, Jesus, don't you see that we're about to die? Do something about it. And so Jesus stands up and what does He do? He utters His voice. And what does He say? Be still. Lay down your weapons. And then Jesus turns to His disciples and He says, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so full of fear? Do you see that in Jesus? Do you see Him as the warrior that He is? And will you let Him ask you, Why are you so afraid? Now, the song of God's strength is not enough. Because... A strong warrior, if you're his enemy, doesn't bring you comfort. It increases your fear. So how is God's strength good news for us? How is God's, how is God's strength, how does it lead us away from fear? Well, we need to keep singing. And we need to sing not only of God's strength, but we also need to sing of his commitment. God as a fighter leads us into confidence because of geography. So in Psalm 46, the whole world is shaking. It's chaotic. It's falling apart. But what stands? What is immovable in Psalm 46? Verse 4. The city of God. A place. Jerusalem. The city whose name means place of peace. And it is Jerusalem in this song, in this poem, that stands unmovable while the whole world is swallowed in chaos. Why? Why does Jerusalem stand? Well, again, geography. There's a river. Only there's not. (laughs) There's not a river in Jerusalem. There's a spring right outside the city, but there's not a river. And of course, if you've been with us in our study of the Psalms, you know that a common image in the Psalms is fresh water. And fresh water usually represents what? It represents the presence of God with His people. So there is a river in Jerusalem because God is in the midst of her. God dwells with her and that is why she stands. That is why she is immovable when the whole world descends into watery chaos. And when God's people saw that, when they saw Jerusalem, they knew that God was for them. They knew that God was not only the Lord of hosts, so God, Lord of hosts, He's general of angelic army, but that they knew that the Lord of hosts was also for them the God of Jacob. Remember Jacob, this ancient ancestor, this important figure in the history of Israel? 
for God to be the God of not only the Lord of hosts, but the God of Jacob, was to remember that God, the Creator, the General of the angelic army, had committed Himself to them. To this struggling, messed up group of people, the descendants of Jacob. He had given Himself to them. So that they knew Him as they saw Jerusalem, this city of promise, this city of commitment. They knew Him as the Lord of hosts, as the God of Jacob. And they found in Jerusalem a place to stand. A place to stand and sing. We will not fear. Why? Because God is a warrior, yes. And... Because of His promises, His covenant with us, He is a warrior for us. And for our good. But there's a historical problem with this geography of promise. Because in 586 B.C., the sea of the Babylonian Empire swallowed the city of Jerusalem. Burned it to the ground killed most of its residents, and shipped the rest off around the world. So what happens to the link? What happens to the connection between the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob? Where is the promise? Where is this place of commitment? The place to stand and sing, we will not fear. We have to keep reading through the book of Psalms and through the Old Testament into into the New Testament. You find in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, this early Christian leader, talks about Jerusalem. And he says, there is a Jerusalem below. And that Jerusalem represents those who have lived, who have rejected God, who have lived in rebellion against Him and His will for Him, and who have rebelled and rejected His Messiah, Jesus. And the Jerusalem below is under God's judgment. But... God has not forsaken Jerusalem because, Paul tells us, there is a Jerusalem above. There is a city that bears the promises of God, the commitment of God that He will be not only the Lord of hosts, but He will be the God of Jacob. He will be the fortress. He will be the warrior for a group of people. And that city exists not in a geographical location, not in a particular ethnic group. That city exists in the community of those, Jews and Gentiles, the community of those who are gathered by faith in Jesus Christ. Jerusalem exists. The city of promise exists in the church. It exists at center point. So that in Jesus we find a place to stand. In Jesus, we find a place to stand and sing, we will not fear. Why? Because in Jesus, we know that God is for us. We know that He is not only the Lord of hosts, but He is our God. We know that He is not only a warrior, but He is a warrior who fights for us. 
who fights for the life and the good of His people. In Jesus, God is not only a fortress, He is our fortress. And life is found in that little personal, possessive pronoun. He is our fortress. So, why are we so afraid? Why are we so full of fear? You know, I wanted to ask those questions and say, why are you so afraid? Why are y'all so afraid? But I had to put myself in there. Why are we so afraid? I come from a long line of worriers. I was talking to my dad this week, and we were talking about school starting, and he, and he asked me, is JJ excited about school starting? And I said, yeah, I think he's excited. I think he's a little nervous, too. And, and, and my dad said, yeah. He's like, I was terrified the first day of school my whole life. Terrified to go to school. Long line of warriors. That's my heritage. I'm there with you. And I, there are nights that I struggle to go to sleep because my mind plays that movie. You know, the movie of all those possible disasters with multiple endings and none of them good. I struggle to go to sleep. But because of Jesus, in Psalm 46, I have a place to stand in my fear. I have a place to stand, to go with my fear and sing, I will not be afraid. Why? Because I can figure it out because I'm smart enough, because I'm moral enough, because I'm creative enough. No, because in Jesus, God is for me. He is my fortress. Now please understand, Joining in this psalm, seeing the truth of this psalm, will not magically and suddenly make your anxiety disappear. This is about a life, an ongoing process of knowing our fear, naming it, and then bringing it to the one who is for us. Of knowing our fear and turning it into cries to our fortress for his help. Let me just also say that it is okay if you need help with your anxiety. And if that help means counseling, it means in some cases medication, can I take the stigma away from that? I don't think it exists at Centerpoint. It exists at some churches. But if you are struggling with anxiety and you can find help, then good. That is a gift of God. But... But, do not miss the opportunity. As you struggle with fear, do not miss the opportunity to look into your heart and to ask, where am I standing? Where do my feet touch the ground? Am I standing on the shaky ground of financial well-being? 
Am I standing on the shaky ground of, of my career? Am I standing on the shaky ground of my accomplishments as a student? Am I standing on the shaky ground of other people's affection for me? Or am I standing on the solid ground of who Jesus is for me? Am I standing on the gospel, the message that in Jesus God is a warrior who fights for me? Someone else made it in the New York Times this week. Terrell Thomas is a cornerback for the New York Giants. And last year he injured his knee and had his third ACL surgery. And the article in the New York Times is about his rehabilitation, his attempt, which would be historical, to come back to professional football after three ACL surgeries. And the article talks about his struggle throughout his rehab process and his struggle with the anxiety and depression throughout that process. The questions of, am I going to lose this, these millions of dollars uh, that I thought I was going to make? And am I not going to be able to play football again? And the article talks about Terrell meeting a young woman in his rehab who was an inspiration, a woman uh, who had had a terrible accident, and her resilience, her joy, her persistence in her rehab was an encouragement, was an inspiration to him. And that young woman is my sister, Julie. Uh, Many of you know that Julie, uh, about a year and a half ago, was in a, a terrible car wreck that almost claimed her life. Um, and she has had a very, very long road of, of rehab back to health. And she met Terrell in the process of that rehab and was an inspiration because of her joy, because of her confidence. But listen, I know Julie. And Julie's from the same line of warriors that I'm from. <laughs> and she was not, is not, and my family has not been through this process the perfect image of serenity in trouble. But here's what we have learned in the process. We have learned that in our fear, in our worry, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. We have learned when that fear wells up within us to take it to the one who is our fortress, to take it to the one who is a warrior. But because of Jesus, he is a warrior for us. Let's pray.